Welcome back to another episode of Fret Buzz the Podcast. My name is Aaron Sefchik. And I am Joe McMurray. And today we have Blake Wyland of Tone Mob Podcast. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello. I'm fantastic. How are you guys doing? Not too bad. Yeah, doing great. A little rainy here on the East Coast, but it's all right. That's a flip-flop. We're like glorious sunshine right now. Oh, really? You know, not the norm for the Portland area, but hey, (laughs) it's all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously by the title of um, Tone Mob... um, all one word, by the way. Um, uh, well, sort of. Oh, oh, we're in the midst of <laughs> <I> just, changing it? <laughs> I just changed it. Uh, be, after years of having it be like one word, tonemob.com podcast, I had so many people like, I can't find it. Where is it? Because they would search two words because that's how the logo looks. And uh, and I was like, you know, this is kind of dumb. I wonder how many listeners I've cost myself You know, that have seen it somewhere and searched but not been able to find it because it's tonemob.com. So I changed it all over here like a month ago, or maybe maybe a little less. So two words this time. Okay, two, two words. <laughs> and it looks like on your website it's the Tone Mob now. Well, uh, yeah, it kind of, that's a long story. It started on Instagram. So I went to get Tone Mob, and some Italian lady already has that. Um, and so I was like, I guess I'll be the Tone Mob, and uh, yeah, it's kind of a mess. But if you if you Google it, it'll bring up the right stuff. Okay. So how long has the Tone Mob been around? So it's been around about four years. Wow. Um, yeah, it's kind of a weird it's a weird deal. I I started I started on Instagram like I just mentioned, and I I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to work in the gear industry somehow. And I thought, you know, uh, I'll, I'll just try to figure out a way to do that. And I kind of did. <laughs> so I kind of shoehorned my way into the industry in a weird way. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it started on Instagram, and I, I was looking around, and there was no, there were no podcasts at the time that were talking to builders and, and people from the gear community. And so I thought, well, I guess I'll give it a try. And so... All these years later, people still tune in, and people still seem to be pretty interested in it, and yeah, so just keeping on, keeping on. Yeah, and and perusing the library of, of podcasts that are out there, uh, actually, you don't have a whole lot of competition, so that's kind of nice to to be able to go out there and just say, okay, I'm looking for a Gary-oriented uh, podcast that really gets into the details of it all, and, and you would be right up there around number one, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, and it's it's kind of surprising, especially given the uh, the amount of light that's been shown on podcasts in the last few years. Especially, I feel like in 2019. Yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm constantly like, okay, it's like there's there's some other gear podcasts, but they're mostly host based, like t- two hosts talking about you know different guitar subjects. Right. And uh, you know, like 60 Cycles Hum has been going for a long time, and Guitar Nerds has been going for a long time in one form or another. Um, and then I'm a go, I'm a guest, uh, well, I'm actually more of like a co-host on another podcast, uh, called, uh, Chasing Tone Podcast, which, uh, yeah. with Brian, with Brian Wampler. So I, I've been doing that almost as long, almost as long as I've been doing Tone Mob, and I think I've actually put out more Chasing Tone episodes than I have Tone Mob. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird thing. There's like, you know, a handful of gear podcasts and it's just me and guitar knobs doing the interview thing, and their style is way different than mine. So it's right. 
it's really a a weird a weird kind of niche that I've found myself in. It's really nice to have you guys because there's so much gear out there now that it's it can be difficult. Like you you can't just go into guitar guitar center and try everything. Like the guys they'll get irritated with you. <laughs> so it helps to have have an idea of a few things you want to check out when you enter the store rather than just being like, well, there's a hundred pedals here that I have no idea what the difference is. So it's it's extremely helpful as a guitarist to have a place to go to be able to get some background and hear about before you try them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really what we try to do. I try to shine light on some smaller builders. I'm a huge pedal nerd. And so uh, I talk to a lot of pedal builders just because that's my thing. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, for me, somebody who's so into it and so nerdy about this stuff, like I go to guitar center and I'm like, you guys don't have anything, <laughs> you know, like where's all the good stuff. I mean, they still have great stuff, but I'm like, where's this little niche guy from New Zealand? Why don't you have him? You know, it's, it's like the hipster of the gear world. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you certainly got into it. I mean, what you're about uh, 120, almost 120 episodes in, which is great. Yeah, yeah, it's it would have a lot more. I've always intended it to be a weekly show, but um, there for a while, I was trying to work my day job full time, work my business, uh, you know, full time basically, and do the podcast and have a family. And so there was a there was a period in in 2016 or 2017 maybe early 2017 I can't remember where I you know I went a long time without releasing an episode so long the you know people thought I had like was done and had just quit right and so you know my one thing that I tell podcasters is don't don't do that like that's the worst I cost myself so much ground by doing that but I really didn't have a choice something had to give right um, and so when I was finally able to quit the day job now it you know it's really hit a very consistent schedule and that's been immensely helpful yeah and you had mentioned previous to us starting here that you you also are in a band as well yes yeah that that is sort of uh, the time that the the band was in its heyday and you know the podcast started was kind of uh, like the band was sort of at its not i wouldn't want to say peak as far as like as far as good as we're going to get whatever but like as far as our activity was going we were practicing all the time we were writing new material Blah, 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 blah. And that kind of like took a back seat. We all had more children or, you know, had other things happen in our lives. So the band is actually in a restart mode right now. We we just moved my buddy's drums over to my place. We're going to get some new gear to practice over at MySpace. We were at a different spot before and kind of get, get things back on track with that. Awesome. What's the name of the band? Uh, we're called Anchor Ashore. Anchor Ashore. Okay. We'll yeah, definitely yeah. be on the lookout for that in the future. Yeah, there's just one album out there. It's on all the digital platforms if you're interested in what a bunch of uh, indie rock guys and, uh, you know, me being the post-hardcore type guy sound like. it's uh, That's what it is. It's sort of a 90s, ended up sounding like the, a 90s sort of band uh, when we all got done with it. But yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun and it's, you know, it's what it's all about at the end of the day. So we got to get, got to get back to playing with the band. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> So, so let us tell, kind of give us a little inside story in terms of how you got into this whole, um, 
your interest into the geekness, the, the, the innards of gear and why and how that appeals to you so much? I've, you know, I've thought about that quite a bit. Like, I'm not sure why I gravitate towards that so much. And I, it's always been that way for me. You know, my dad played guitar and still plays guitar, but he's primarily an acoustic player and never really got into the gear very much. And so when I was coming up, I was, I was learning about, you know, uh, basically rock bands because I grew up on country. And, and I was like asking dad, like, well, how do you get the guitar to sound like this? And he didn't know, you know, and, and cause he did, it wasn't his thing. Right. And, and so I was calling, you know, I thought, you know, I was hearing these bands playing these drop tunings. And so this is before I even picked up an instrument. I was like calling guitar center. I'm like, well, that sounds like bass. So maybe it's like distorted bass. I don't know what that is. And so I like remember calling guitar center and asking them all these really bad, silly questions that they probably were like, who is this guy? Um, before I ever even picked up an instrument, because I was trying to figure out what I needed to buy and how much I needed to save. So it's almost like the gear obsession started before I even knew how to play, which is kind of a weird a weird thing to think about, but I don't know. It's a weird wiring I've got, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm, it, all, it all is kind of interconnected in terms of, I mean, it's kind of cool to find out why, why certain things work the way they do, <laughs> you know? For sure, definitely, it, and and it's 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 weird when you have those light bulb moments. It's like, oh, it all makes sense now. Okay, so yeah, it's a it's been a, and I'm I'm constantly learning because there's constantly new things coming out, and and uh, it's I'm you know I'm still obsessed with it. So I'm I'm always trying to figure out what's the latest and greatest and all that stuff. Do you remember your first pedal? Yeah, I do actually. It it was again it started like all things do at Guitar Center. It seems. And I was playing a Fender Supersonic 22 tube amp, and I was like, I need a little more. I need a little more to dirt uh, or dirt to get what I'm trying to do. And the guy's like, Oh, what you need is a tube screamer. And I was like, Tube screamer? What's a tube screamer? Right. And so he brought me a TS9, and uh, that was my first, very first pedal was that TS9. Cool. Which is weird because I'm not even a big tube screamer guy anymore. <laughs> so right. Well, you got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I'm always interested in like I have a lot of students and sometimes they want to they they look at my pedal board and they they want to know what pedals they should get. Do you have any? Um, I'd like to hear your ideas of what you think a rock guitarist, a young rock guitarist, what's the first pedal they should really invest in? You know, it really kind of depends on what their amp situation is. In in my opinion, so you know if they if they're playing direct a lot, which a lot of people start out doing these days, or if they're they have like a clean pedal platform, I like to try to to have people experiment with amp in the box type dirt boxes because it's cheaper than figuring out you know what kind of amp you like to get started. So it's like you know I mentioned Brian Wampler earlier. He make he's known for the amp in the box stuff. So if you can go pull up his website, you know, and he's got a ton of, um, you know, he's got Marshall style ones. He's got Vox style ones and, and, a, and a ton of other builders do too. So I would have him start with a, some sort of amp in a box dirt pedal and figure out kind of like what their, what their bass tone is. Um, I don't mean bass like right. bass, but <laughs> their, their kind of normal level tone is at what, what their ears like. Um, you know, I'm just kind of, Assuming someone's starting from from zero, basically. 
Yeah. Uh, um. So yeah, some sort of some sort of good dirt, uh, like overdrive distortion, and then you know, I feel like a reverb and delay is probably all that somebody just getting started should really mess with because it gets deep in a big big hurry. <laughs> He's not the truth. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. That's such a good point about the the amp simulators, because if you have I mean, just the basic tone of a Marshall is so different than the basic tone of a, a Fender. That really does... You need the right amp before you start getting pedals, probably. Yeah, I, you know, myself personally, pedals are so good now, I prefer, like, to keep the amp cleanish and have it be kind of a, a pedal platform, so to speak. Yeah. Um, that's changing a little bit, which we can get into, you know into details on that later if you want yeah. but i like to see people start with just a clean amp and some good dirt boxes it you really can go so far with that and it sounds it's not even like it sounds convincing like it sounds good if you uh if you have the right pedals and you just know how to set things i find in my practice i i drive i get my overdrive from the pedal like way more because i'm playing at a low volume in my house but like last night i was playing a gig outside and I got to turn my, I have a Fender um, Princeton Reverb with a 10-inch speaker, and as soon as that thing goes up past about four, like, all right. of a sudden, my whole pedal situation changes. Like, in the house, I use a Keeley Red Dirt Germanium for my overdrive, uh-huh. and I just love, it gets a nice saturation to it. It sounds good with my ES-335, but outside with that, when I can turn it up, the Tube Screamer really sounds phenomenal. Yeah. Like, and it's not like I'm not pushing it super hard. Like, I'm not dialing it back as far as some people do, but it's like at different volumes, it really changes what you're getting out of the pedal. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Totally, totally changes the response when you start having the amp, you know, starts to compress and saturate a little bit, you know, and you're hitting it with that, with that uh, red dirt, which it, uh, which is a great pedal. And, um, yeah, it's 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 weird how how much it changes at volume, and I I just I it hasn't came out yet, but it probably will by the time this episode drops. I I was talking with Mike Mitchell, who plays in uh, plays in the Kingsmen, who are kind of a legendary you know Portland area band. They did the Louie Louie thing back in the day, uh-huh. where everybody knows them from. But he was talking about them playing those old Suns, uh, oh, yeah. and how much power they had and how they would just he's like there's nothing like just standing in front of a wall of 15 inch speakers and 200 watt heads and it's so so cool to see like this 70 year old man like he's like oh yeah (laughs) he's just not what you think of but he was still so passionate about it he's like just feeling it just blow your pant legs and just go he's like there's nothing like it oh man volume changes everything does (laughs) he have uh hearing aids he didn't. He didn't, and he he didn't seem, at least in our short conversation, you know, we only talked for about thirty minutes. He didn't seem hard of hearing at all, which was amazing to me, considering his career. Yeah, or tinnitus. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't ask him about it, but he seemed fine. No, there's actually a there's an interview of Paul Gilbert in my latest Guitar Techniques magazine, yeah. and he's got he, you can see his hearing aid, and he brings it up, like the fact that he can't hear his tone. He's like, I don't really know if it's good. I can't hear it very well. Oh no! Like he has to listen back. Wow, that's yeah, that's crazy. I wear, that's insane. I wear earplugs all the time. I'm terrified of losing my hearing. I feel like that would be the end of my career if I 
there's nothing more important than your ears as a musician. It's true. It's true. And I, um, you know, being as I don't gig out or anything, I feel like I'm a little less prone to some of that. But uh, sometimes at concerts, I catch myself. I'm like, oh, I should have brought plugs. I'm I'm feeling it this time, you know. And I, I it's always freaks me out. Like, uh, hearing protection is important, everybody. It doesn't matter how cool you think you look. If you can't hear, you can't enjoy this wonderful thing we call music. So yeah. put your earplugs in. Yeah, especially drummers. Especially yes. the drummers. It's it's for anybody out there that doesn't know. It's it's always the high frequencies that go first. You will absolutely one hundred percent start losing because the human hearing goes from twenty hertz to twenty thousand hertz, um, and you will start losing twenty, nineteen, eighteen, seventeen, and sixteen, and it starts going more and more. And there's actually debate out there in terms of age, actually. Once you hit about 50 years old, you start losing it automatically anyway. Um, so like that's for like old people. They're not necessarily starting to go deaf when they um, go, huh? <laughs> it's just that the fact that they can't make out the nuances of the words because they're losing all that high frequency information. Um, yeah, so that's... That that's a, such a scary thing as somebody who's so, you know, built his life around how things sound. It's like, ah, yeah. no, no, I only have 20 years left. That's not enough time. Like oh. crazy. I mean, I mean, but I mean, you look at all these, these older gentlemen, uh, producers, uh, engineers like Chad Blake and, you know, uh, Chris Lord algae. And, you know, they're obviously older than 50, but they've trained their ears to hear the things that they don't hear, you know, they'll, they, they know exactly how to mix because they've been doing it for so long. So you can, you can definitely learn the process and uh, make sure that when you do put it out to the masses, that it still works very good with all the ways that people are listening to music these days. But nonetheless, in terms of losing that information, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The moral of the story say, is just to keep, just to wear your hearing protection. There's no, <laughs> no reason not to. Yeah. Even if somebody gives you a hard time. Yeah. I, I feel like that's less of a thing now too. Like, everyone's like, everyone universally doesn't want to go deaf. I don't. I, I feel like maybe back in the day there, there was maybe some old metalheads that would uh, call you names for wearing earplugs, but I, I feel like that's way less of a thing these days. It happened to me like three weeks ago. I went and saw Papadocio here in Virginia Beach. Really? And I was wearing really? my earplugs, and I mean, it, they were just these girls that were kind of drunk, but they were giving me the hardest time. And I was like, "Like, leave me alone. I don't wanna, <laughs> it's so loud. We were front row. And uh, anyway, they were, they were picking on me. <laughs> well, they'll be deaf, so then yeah. you can make fun of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you should make fun of deaf people, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't do that. <laughs> no. Um, cool. Well, yeah. So, I mean, all of this really comes down to, and talking about frequencies and, and all that kind of stuff, it really comes down to this idea of tone uh, and what is tone. How would, like, in all of, because you've obviously had a lot of discussions with a lot of pedal makers, a lot of gear makers. Um, what have you kind of gathered over all of these talks with all of these people? The the biggest thing is that, like, a lot of the pedal builders start from the same place. 
it's it's really funny how at least specifically the pedal builders they they all have a very similar story it's like it it's like yeah well i started you know i built a couple diy kits and then i did this and then i you know then i i wanted to go further so i started developing my own stuff and you know hours and hours of breadboarding and then you know some people wanted to buy it it's kind of funny how similar all of their stories are and one thing i've noted about the gear industry in particular and i've talked about it at length on my show is that how there's a similar type of person that listens to my podcast that uh that gets started in building guitars and gear and pedals and amps and it's like we all have a very similar personality we all have a a very similar we, we all get along really well we go to nam um which i'm sure a lot of your listeners know what nam is we're not talking about vietnam but uh the NAM show down in Anaheim, and you know the pedal builders all get together and go bowling, all like like it's a thing. Everyone just likes hanging out. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. And, and so it's and a community, it's, really. It it's a community, but it's kind of it's funny to look at it from a business perspective because they're all direct competitors, like they're directly competing with each other. If you buy, you know, if you buy an Earthquake or Palisades, you're probably not going to buy the JHS Bonsai you know, <laughs> type of thing. And, uh, but yet they're going to, they're going to specifically JHS and Earthquaker are the ones who host the bowling party for everybody else to come to. So it's, it's, a uh, it's like a lot of, uh, a lot of camaraderie. So like the, the, I guess where I'm going with all this is, uh, is for some reason the gear world is very, very friendly compared to a lot of other businesses. That's like a huge t- takeaway that I never would have Never would have known otherwise. Yeah. Do you? Oh, go ahead, Joe. Do you attribute that to, like, Josh Smith from JHS? Is just like he seems like he's super nice. Like it's just his. Do you think it's just the fact that you happen to have some really nice guys at the top of the pack? But there's nice guys at the bottom too, and in the middle. And yeah, yeah. There, it's like you see, you see Josh. And you see like Robert Keeley, and you, those guys are pretty out there, and and Brian Wampler, and you, they're, they're none of that stuff is fabricated. That's just how they are, whether the camera's rolling or not. And right. I I think it just I think this industry for whatever in whatever reason attracts uh, friendlier people, maybe because there's only like a handful of guys in the business that I actively kind of avoid. <laughs> I won't name names, but it's only like three in the whole business. So. <laughs> That's that's saying quite a bit, I think, when you're talking about an entire industry of folks. It's yeah. a lot different than like the construction industry where Oh my gosh. That I was in where it's a pretty uh harsh industry. Get into the music world and everybody's just like, I love life so much more. Yeah. I well, think it, yeah, totally. I so think part better. of that has to do with a little bit of the geekiness of the whole thing. I know with within the recording industry, uh, it's the same thing. There, we're, It's very much a family-oriented, and even though, yeah, you may have a direct competitor, it really is not the idea of, you know, trying to get one up on the next guy. It's more along the lines of, hey, we're all in this for the same reasons, and you know, maybe my audience can learn a little something from your audience and vice versa. And this is all one, you know, we're all interested in the same thing and that's all good. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if it's the whole music thing or what it is, but it's it's definitely good. That's for sure. I, I think so. I I mean, you know, I've talked I've gotten the opportunity to talk to some 
some musicians that I look up to, too, on the podcast. And, you know, they were all super cool, too. And, you know, so much to the to the point of, you know, we I recorded one, and I've talked about this a few times, and I always feel a little bit creepy when I talk about it, but I, I was able to get Brian Fallon from Gaslight Anthem on my show, and I'm a huge Gaslight Anthem fan, and... You know, they say these things about don't meet your heroes. You know, it can they can let you down. Well, it couldn't. This couldn't have been further from that case. We got along so well, uh, and we in, we just enjoy chatting, and we like the same stuff. And and I don't know, we got along really really well to the point where we still talk. So you know, my wife was there for that recording, and she came away, and she was like, "They're just like you," you know. <laughs> and she's a big fan too. So it was kind of a weird thing. I think it is the music that that brings us all together at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. You play music, you don't work music. That's right. Nobody says that really, do they? It's always playing. <laughs> yeah. It's true. <laughs> you know? Is it we recently um our last interview was with Mark Benito of Benito Guitars. He's a a luthier guitar builder, acoustic guitar builder up in Canada. Uh-huh. He builds really high-end guitars, and he was saying something very similar about um, about the acoustic guitar builder world of you know that there is a lot of camaraderie there, and so that's just another example. And I think to my own music scene, the camaraderie in Washington D.C. and that music scene was was really awesome. And here in Virginia Beach, there's a lot of great people. Yeah, it's just a further support of what we're what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah, we're all kind of in this together, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think we really have a choice. I mean, there's unfortunately on this on the lower level of of music in terms of the money because uh, there's there's not a whole lot of money out there for us. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's more beneficial to help each other and be more of a family than it is to try to strike each other down. <laughs> yeah, that's well, it's not going to work out. I, I, it doesn't ever seem to work out in the end for, you know, the hyper aggressive uh, competitiveness. I mean, I mean, in some businesses it does, but it seems like it always comes back to bite somebody in the music industry. Yeah. Yeah. You get a bad name for yourself in some way. And then it's like, hey, watch out for those guys at the Fret Buzz podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh my. So you've again, you've talked to quite a few uh, people. What have some of uh, what are some of the highlights? Oh man, wow, that's. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of our viewers that will will love to kind of peruse your library. Um, if I was to go to your library right now, what would be the top? three to five that you would say you definitely need to check out this episode. Okay. So there's been a lot of, I mean, a lot of really great conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, check the, out all 116. Right. <laughs> check them all out. They're all wonderful. They're all yeah. perfect. Absolutely. Um, no, the, uh, so the one that my listeners always reference back to as being one of the best episodes, I just went back and listened to it, it was episode 18 with, uh, Robert Keeley. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and and it, I, I'm, I understand why they say it's one of the best episodes because Rob was very candid on it about some of his struggles and uh, with, with drugs and some other things. Um, and, and so I totally, and I think that was the first sort of peek behind that curtain that he had given anybody. And I wasn't expecting it when I recorded. Um, but I was also really new at interviewing. So I listened back to it. I'm like, goodness, I'm so stiff. Like, I'm like, 
I sound like a I'm made of wood. So like <laughs> a lot of people really enjoy it, and I totally understand why. But it's not my best work for sure. Um, but uh, but there again, lots of people like that one. Um, I referenced the the Brian Fallon episode. I can't remember the number on that one, but it's it's the only time he's came on. Um, that was recorded on his bus in in Boston, oh, cool. or on the the band's bus in Boston, rather. That was amazing, and uh, anything I've done two two episodes with Joel Cordy from Chase Bliss, and he is just I could I could talk to that guy all day long. Like he is the nicest, coolest dude ever. So yeah, either of the Joel Cordy episodes would be pretty pretty epic. Yeah. Where do you think like getting the most uh, technical? Like I'm always interested. I, like I have limited time. I'm a lot of times I skip over when people are just chatting. To be honest, because I just don't have the time or patience to listen to other people talk about randomness. I'm there to like find out like how do you get the what's this pedal about? How do you make it work? Do you have some episodes that end up being much more um, technically based and some that are more chatty? Um, I'm pretty chatty, as you can tell. So we we kind of bounce all over the place. I really try to focus on the person behind the the brand or the you know the band or whatever. I'm really interested in people. I I I do like gear, but I'm really I'm really there to talk to the person, especially especially after this many episodes. It's like I, I kind of want to know what makes you tick and why you do the things you do. So they tend to be more chatty. However, one that was very uh, much more in depth from a like tonal kind of exploration side and a big departure from what I normally do was when I talked to Richard Hoover from Santa Cruz Guitars, uh, um, and uh, obviously makes beautiful acoustic instruments. A lot of people know Santa Cruz, and he really he really went into his theories on building guitars and why why things sound the way they do and how he likes to approach things. And it was really more in-depth than I was expecting. I, and I think somebody like you would probably get a lot out of that episode. Oh, yeah, especially with my newfound passion for the acoustic guitar again. Oh, yeah. Rekindling of the passion. But yeah, that would be that would be awesome for me. Yeah, I think, I think you'd probably... A lot of people like that one. I got a lot out of it just from doing it. So it was a... He's a really nice guy, and again, a wealth of information. So he and he's way willing to share. So yeah, that'd be the one I would probably point people to. Awesome, that'd be really cool. After, especially because we just interviewed Mark Benito, and they're kind of competitors in that same high end guitar world. It'll be interesting to hear how the different, you know, any differences in what they say and how they approach things. Right. Yeah, that'd be really interesting. So I want to know what's on your pedal board right now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, I'm looking at it right now, and my listeners, if they slide over to listen to this, which I'm sure some will, are laughing right now, because I never have a pedal board set up. Uh, I I have a lot of pedals, uh-huh. and I'm constantly getting new ones, and so basically my routine is every night I have a table with a, a power supply on it and a bunch of patch cables, and I'll grab random things out of my cabinet and I put them on there and try to make new sounds. And so, therefore, I never have a, a normal pedal board right, set up. Right, so, right, right. So, so, like, right now, what I just was playing with last night was my Maris Enzo, a uh, Mr. Black Blood Moon Reverb, 
and uh, a Schnobel Tone uh, volume pedal. Well, it's a, technically an Ernie Ball volume pedal, but Roman from Schnobel Tone does these mods where he puts a buffer and a tuner and does some upgrades to it. And uh, normally I wouldn't consider that necessarily like an, a crucial piece of the board, but how I was using it for doing these weird synthy sounds, it was kind of important. So that's what I was playing with last night. And how so many, you re- go ahead. I was going to ask, how many pedals do you own? Oh, roughly, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> roughly like 10, 20, 30, 50, 100, 200. Yeah, maybe like 200 or 250 or oh something. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's an addiction. <laughs> I'm, sure I'm sure your wife loves this. Yeah, she does. So, I mean, I bring in a box from the if I come in carrying anything. It doesn't matter if it's from the mail or from or otherwise. My three year old's like, "Oh, did you get another pedal?" Yeah. I'm like, usually it's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah. And uh, here it is. Yep. But um, you know, some of that is is a byproduct from from what I do though as well. So you know, I'm testing a lot of prototypes. Um, you know, do, I do product development for some of these companies, and so uh, some of it is is not necessarily final products. Uh. And sometimes people just want me to check things out, which is the most fun, and just get some feedback on it. So I have I have a lot of stuff. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of uh, I'm not sure what it's kind of obscene when people walk out into the the room out here. And the, uh, one of my my drummer's dad came out here recently, and he walked and he's a guitar player. Well, and he's like, "Wow, you sure do have a lot of pedals, don't you?" And he was looking at my cabinet that I keep them in. And I said, yeah, don't turn around and open any of those drawers behind you because they're not full as well. And it's just a, it's a, it's a funny, it's a funny thing. Have you ever uh, done a, I guess you don't do YouTube, but I was going to say, I, I would love to have like a studio tour. That would be like, I'm, I'm really curious now. Like I, I almost want you to pick up your phone and take us. <laughs> well, well, um, I can do that later maybe, oh, but it's, awesome. it's, it's not that big. It's a, uh, it looks bigger than it is. It's only about 300 and 300 square feet or so, Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's really tall. It's about 14, six to the peak. So it looks really big from the outside and it looks it looks kind of big in pictures but once you're in it's like oh square footage wise it's not really that big it's it would be a short tour okay no that's the hey that's cool stick around where we've got more <laughs> awesome that's cool very cool yeah it's not like aaron's aaron looks like he's in his palace of guitars and gear goodness and it's like a big closet right my is mine is a walk-in closet yeah. you can you can touch both sides with your arms outstretched right yep Oh yeah. Oh, it looks so huge in the camera. That's crazy. Weird. Yeah, I can't quite reach, but yeah, that's those are not that far away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have do you have go-to pedals? Yes, I do have some go-tos. If I was just to like run and go play a gig, uh, I would probably throw on like if I was going to throw a small board together real quick, I'd probably grab my Mad Professor Sweet Honey. It's just I've had that that overdrive for years and it just works with everything and it's really touch sensitive. I think it's just a great three knob overdrive. Um, and I'd probably grab my, I'd probably grab my Emma electronic Pizdiawatt, which is a, a high gain metal distortion with a three band active, active EQ on it. 
Um, so it's billed as a metal distortion, but what's great is it has a ton of different sounds in it with that active EQ, and the gain range is actually really wide. So it can be lower gain too, or it can rip your face off, whatever you need. <laughs> so I would probably grab that, and then a, um, yeah, obviously I got to have some fuzz, so I'd probably grab a big muff of some sort. Most likely would be the Tomcat pedals green muffer. And then I'm obsessed right now with the Dr. Scientist atmosphere. I just got that recently and I can't stop playing it. There's so many sounds in it. Awesome. So I'd probably grab the atmosphere and then the solid gold effects electroman delay. And I'd flip that. The reverb would be at the end. But so that'd probably be what I would grab if I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna play. I need to cover some ground. <laughs> Throw that on. Okay, let's see what see what happens. Right. Wow. So cool. Now, obviously, as we just kind of talked about it before, all of these sound a little different through what amp you're playing through. Uh, do you have multiple amps that you kind of play around with? I do. Um, I I'm a Benson amps fanboy. Benson Chris Benson is a local builder here in Portland. And he's really blown up in the last few years. I've known him for several years before that, but he uh, he makes the best amps, in my opinion. And uh, I have a couple that are pretty special, but the one that I the one that I think is one of the best amps on the market is the Benson Amps Vincent. Which there's kind of a long backstory there to how I was kind of involved in that becoming a thing. But it's basically it's a it's a, without getting too into it, because it's pretty unique, it's a big amp and a little amp in in the same package. So it's it looks like a regular channel switcher, but when you engage the dirt channel, it's not just bringing in another set of preamp tubes or something. It's actually a whole separate one-watt amplifier that runs into the front of the bigger amplifier. So you get full-blown power tube distortion at basically any volume level. And... Uh, it's, you know, and you can turn that off. It's a great pedal platform if need be. Uh, it's just, I think it's a fantastic amp. I, I love it. Plus, it's got my oldest son's name on it. So there's, I'm a, I'm a little bit biased. Right. <laughs> Understandably. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that's really cool that it actually puts it into a, a low wattage preamp to yeah. overdrive it. Yeah, well, the, the Vincent is, came from the Vinny. The Vinny was the first version, which is a one-watt amp. And I asked Chris to make this for my son when he was born so he'd have a matching amp for two daddies. So, Because yeah, that's what you have to have, right? It just makes sense for infants. Um, and and I found, I asked him to put an instrument level out on it just, to, just for fun. I thought maybe for direct recording or whatever. And I found that, I was like, this is my new favorite overdrive pedal. And because you can run it, say you know you you just had this is the Vinny by the way, and so I was running it into other amplifiers, and I told Chris, you know this thing sounds great by itself, but it really sounds good when you run it in front of a big amp. That's what led to the Vincent being developed later. It really is the struggle a lot of times. You you know you want a small amp, but then there's sometimes it's just not loud enough. Yeah, sometimes you want that breakup. Yeah. Sometimes I need like I need the clean headroom for certain things without I don't want it to break up, especially if I'm playing like jazz or something. But then, you know, the next song I could want some overdrive and I do want it to break up. Seems like a great solution is all I'm saying. 
Oh yeah, I think I think a lot of you know it's one of those things where you hear about it and it sounds pretty cool, um, but I've I've witnessed a few people once they actually try it, they're like, oh, this is something else. Like this is a whole. You can't hardly put it into words. It's a really special amplifier, I think. Is there a a bigger maker that most people would have tried that you could compare the tone to? You know, is it more in the realm mm. of a Fender sound or a Vox or Marshall or whatever? That, that That's what's really hard about the Benson stuff is, is normally with most things you can point to something and there's not really anything else like it out there, you know, tonally, but... I would say it sounds like a Supro, but way more refined. You know, way more, way better note definition. Doesn't get so flubby, but the breakup characteristics are sort of Supro-ish. It's almost like a, I would say if you took a Supro and a Fender and blended them up, it would be kind of like that. And Chris probably would get really mad if I, <laughs> I don't know, know what I'm talking about. But that's sonically what it kind of sounds like to me. So if you're not grabbing your bents, what what would you be grabbing? I would probably for for ease. I would probably use. I mean, it would kind of depend on the gig. Um, when I'm not playing my Bensons, t- normally I'm pl- playing my Sun Beta lead, which is a completely different thing altogether. Yeah. Um, and but if I was like, you know, gigging out and trying to just like cover as much ground as I could, I'd probably get like a, a deluxe reverb or something, a Vibro Lux. Would would probably be my my go to for that kind of stuff. Cool. Yeah, you can't go wrong. You've got a deluxe, right? Me? Yeah, yeah. sitting right. It's there. a deluxe. Yeah. That's hard to argue with a deluxe reverb. They just sound great. Yeah. Yeah. It's just heavy. That's why I have the Princeton. <laughs> Princetons are awesome too. I just like a little bit more headroom. Yeah. You mean, yeah. You mean actually physically heavy? Oh yeah. <laughs> that's not that's nothing like the twin. My twin's like oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. A twin is something that I've always found I mean, I understand back in the day why somebody would would need a twin, but like man, twin seems like it's just about overkill in 90% of applications. Right. Right. It's amazing how much the room changes things too, oh, right? Oh my gosh, yes. It's like you plug in, you know, at home, you're like, okay, I got it dialed in. And then you take it somewhere else and you set it up exactly the same. And you're like, this sounds awful. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, what happened? The room changes everything. It's so crazy. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Not only that, I mean, there's so many variables in, in anybody's setup, whether it's the guitar itself and how you approach the fretboard or the amp and whether you're using a you know, a half stack or a quarter stack, or if you're using a combo amp and the cabinet that's in it, because the cabinet is a huge variable in terms of what's going on and how it reverberates and the speakers that are within. And I mean, it's just, there's so many variables. (laughs) Yeah. It gets, it gets wild in a big hurry. That's it's, it's amazing how deep the rabbit hole goes. And and we haven't even touched the idea of, how much the guitar impacts your sound. <laughs> yeah, we, haven't your even, we haven't even got there yet. That's that's funny. Yeah, Guitar, that's string gauge, pick, type. There's so many, so many variables. Yeah. Tone is, oh my gosh, it's 
It's amazing. I mean, yeah, I, I always find it funny because you can go online and look up whoever's, you know, rig and how they got their certain tone. But it, it's just like the recording world where you can go on many forums and find out exactly how the compressor settings or however they threat this, uh, put this threshold or whatever it is. And no matter what, you're never really going to capture that original sound. Um, just because you're in a different environment and things change between components. Um, it's, it's interesting. The guy that, that I was talking about with the whole modding of the, the amps, um, he sent me an article about, you know, slashes, you know, that signature sound on appetite and where that act, that amp actually ended up and where the circuitry actually came from. Um, so I guess there was an individual who actually tracked down the whole, went down the rabbit hole for years and years and actually finally found out where that whole thing came from. Um, so it's, it's, it's tone is man. I mean, there are some people that get very, very obsessed with it and for good reasons. Um, but even then it's just like, Oh my gosh, there's, you know, like you have 200 plus, 250 plus pedals out there. Even if you capture the tone, there's just so much more. Yeah, I mean, that's like kind of like I was talking about, like what I do every night is really weird, but like I'm constantly searching for new sounds. That's what I find enjoyable. I'm always trying to, you know, find a, you know, I, I, I've told people before, it's like I'm searching for a new color almost in some ways, like something I've never heard before, which, you know, a lot of people don't have a hard time believing, but with the range of effects that are out there now, I really believe that everyone could have like their own completely unique sound and have it be totally different than anything that's ever, ever happened before. Just because there's so many insane combinations of things that you can put together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at all these guys who are pedal makers, um, and they're always coming out. I, watch, I follow Keeley, and you know they're always coming out with these new, crazy, cool sounds because it is. It's, it's. You, you can't find the end. It, you can always find something new to kind of play around with. Yes, it is a never-ending journey. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Have you ever dabbled in making um, your own pedals or doing the DIY route? So sort of ish. Um, I, I, let's see, how do I explain this? I have no depth perception. Um, so it's soldering is very, I can do it and I'm not bad at it, but it takes me a really long time. So, uh, I've, I've started putting together some pedals and things before and I'm just like, you know, this takes me so long. It's not really that enjoyable. Plus, I don't know. I'm. Uh, I know just enough about electronics to be dangerous, right. and so what I found to be much more effective is um, getting my my friends who actually know what they're doing and giving them my wild ideas and letting them make it into a real thing. So I've gotten the opportunity to do several pedal projects with different builders um, for you know that we did as small batches, and. Uh, I'm working on a, a project right now with a couple different guys that it's been in the works for about a year and a half, but we're we're coming out with something really crazy here in the next few months. So I'm looking forward to that. But so I have, but it's more from a uh, more from an idea and like I'm I'm like part of the process, but I'm not like the guy who makes it happen. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I <clears throat> it's obviously depending on your passion, 
some people find building stuff, electronics, just, you know, there is no better. <laughs> but then there obviously there are people who, yeah, yeah, you just, you do it. I'll just play it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I love the concept of creating something new and, and I've definitely been, like I said, a part of that process, but when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of of all this stuff, there's just there's people who are way better better at it than me. Let them do their do it, and it'll be way better than anything that I would I hear come you. up with. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't I haven't delved into that either. Something there, like it's inter- It does seem really interesting. There's just a time. There's just not enough hours in the day. There certainly isn't. No, there's not. That depends on what your passion is. I know that there is a um, group out there. Uh, they actually have a podcast as well. Um, and I have them on Instagram called DIY Recording, where you can buy kits and they'll actually kind of take you through the process of how to build your own whatever it is. That they've got, you know, from something as small as a direct box to something much bigger. Um, so if you are interested, there are places out there that you can go through that process and kind of get yourself a little bit more knowledgeable in terms of why we get the sounds that we do and what parts make, you know, the characteristics of such pedal. Uh, the DR, I have seen them before. They have some really cool kits. Yes. I, I like really, really cool kits. The DIY recording guys do. Yeah. Yeah. They've even got like a couple 500 series things that they've got and they it's, yeah they've got a lot of cool stuff going on yeah and same with pedals like i don't know if there's a uh, if there's necessarily a, a podcast or resource like that but there are kits from you know mammoth electronics uh build your own clone yeah. there's there's a there's a ton of different ones out there that if you just want to get your feet wet that you can kind of get started there and they even i could do it so <laughs> Most people could probably handle it and at least get your at least figure out if it's something you're into or not, you know, without jumping fully into it. And it's cheap if you'd get one of those, it's probably cheaper than buying the a pre built pedal, right? Yes. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean you know, it, it you do have to, you know, solder everything together, but yeah, you you know, you probably spend, you know, sixty bucks instead of two hundred. So you're paying you know, for the you know. that metal housing and the little resistors and stuff. Well, it's uh, pe- with pedals. It's a lot of labor. You know, that's uh, a lot of what you're paying for. In fact, a, a thing that that a lot of us in the in that in this world kind of get tired of having to tell people is is you constantly get something like, well, there's only like fifteen dollars in parts. Why is it so much? And it's like, well, um, there's employees and electricity and uh, development cost and 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 it's like so it's that's what it costs to produce. Um, but still, it's like an ongoing battle. It was only fifteen or thirty dollars or however much they think goes into it. Um, they don't count any of the other stuff. No, no. <laughs> when when I was down at uh, the Moog factory in Asheville over Thanksgiving. Um, and if you're interested, check out our episode with Paul Guetta. He's one of the managers at Moog. Ooh. That was I don't remember what episode that was, somewhere around mid twenties, thirty to mid thirties. I'm terrible at numbers. But um might be on here somewhere. So we I got to actually go on a you know, behind the scenes tour and there was a guy working he was soldering 
the connections. I think it's the new Moog One. Mm-hmm. Um, it's their newest kind of flagship model that's got 16 different voices can be played at once. Wow. Whereas like a a mini Moog or the typical one, you can only get one, you can only play one key at once because mm-hmm. you need a whole circuit board to create that one sound. But this one, because it's got 16, like you can have 16 voices at once, it needs 16 complete circuits. Yeah. And so like the guy was just, he was soldering away, but it was, it looked like thousands of connections. Oh, I'm sure. It was very cool to see. I have a good picture too of him, him doing that, that I need to, should have gotten that up on the, on that episode. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Anytime you look at any one of these guys, um, little studio tours and whatnot, like it's, it, most of them are not in a huge factory or anything like that. It's usually a, a little shop of some sort. Maybe it's even a house that they've they've got. And each room is, you know, a different part of the stage where somebody's handing off whatever. This person does this circuitry or whatnot like that. It's usually very small operations, but it is labor intensive. There's a lot of work that goes into it's not like it's on a factory line and a bunch of machines going. No, it's somebody actually sitting there wiring your pedal up. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing what I've noticed, and and I don't know I don't know if you guys have experienced this too. Moog's maybe a little bit different. They might be an outlier in this, but for the most part, any of the tours I've got to go on or visit shops or whatever universally it's like wow this is a lot smaller than i thought it would mm-hmm. be like every single time it, it for me it has been anyway um it's just uh i think a, i think there's a misconception about here like even if you go to like mesa boogie like they're one of the big guys in this business not that big of a place like i think what a lot of people need to realize is that these companies are not what some people think they are it's not not everyone's Fender. Not everyone's Gibson. In fact, there's only two. There's only one Fender and one Gibson. Everyone else is is tiny for the most part. Yeah, I think most people in their mind, they're like, okay, if I were to drive down the street, there'd be a big sign out there and there'd be a big you know, building and whatnot like that. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's usually in somebody's house. And you'd probably drive right past it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. <sighs> One thing I've I've said on my show before is that like most like I would say eighty percent of the industry or better, um, your local mid-sized construction company is a way bigger operation than most of these gear companies. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, anyway, that's it's a small world. <laughs> the yeah. Moog factory wasn't that big, by the way. I mean, oh really? It was it was, a, it was its own building, standalone, but. The actual innards where they're working to think they're putting out all the mogs in the in the world it's not that big interesting so it holds true yeah, i mean it's the size of my house probably okay wow. much taller ceilings though right <laughs> right yeah the only big operation that i've ever been to like you said was was gibson where you walk in and it's like wow this place is huge they've got lots of inventory going on here yeah, I went to the one in Memphis, but even that I was like, I walked in and I was like, this building is really big. And I was looking around and I would kind of put my, kind of put my business hat on for a minute. And I was like, this building's way too right. big. Like there's not enough, there's not enough going on here that warrants this building being that big. And 
just what I think last year or the year before, they're selling that building now. So I guess they figured that out too. Yeah, well, Gibson's not doing so well right now. Well, I mean, uh, I guess that depends on how you look at it. They're, uh, we can get into that a little bit if you oh, want. Oh, yeah. That's, that's something that like is kind of near and dear to my heart because I'm, I'm a Gibson fan. I've always liked Les Pauls. And uh, I just Gibson's been a big part of my playing since day one. Yeah. And so when like I was you. looking at... <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, yeah, you said 335 earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Very it's nice. my baby. Yes. <laughs> So, you know, all that stuff about Gibson not doing very well and they were filing for Chapter 11 and all that stuff. Mm. What's really interesting is when you get into the nitty-gritty about that, they, they're they doing fine uh, from a guitar business perspective. They're selling a lot of guitars. Their, their revenue from the guitar side was doing fine. It was all of the investments they made in consumer electronics. They, they bought the, the a Philips consumer electronics brand and Onico, I think that's how you say it. I can't remember. And uh, a few others, they they leveraged themselves really with a lot of debt and bought these brands. Those brands didn't end up doing very well. And that was actually the cause of them, uh, you know, having to file for, for bankruptcy. What was really great about them filing for bankruptcy, and now, again, there's insiders that know way more about this than I do. I'm just purely looking at the outside and what, what was available to the public. Right. But once they once they filed for that, and had to restructure, they shed all of that. So the Gibson guitar brand is now just the guitar brand. They shed all their liabilities for the uh, consumer electronics stuff, for the most part, as far as I understand it. And now they're back to just doing what they do well. Um, and they hired the CEO. Uh, they, they got rid of Henry, who is uh, the one who kind of... Uh, I won't say he caused all of, all of this, but his decisions did kind of lead to... Right some of this stuff. Right, right. Um, and and so they got rid of him and they brought in a guy, the CEO from Levi's, which as a brand, Levi's been doing great the last few years. Um, and, you know, they kind of recognize their roots and where they came from. So I, I feel like this guy, and he plays guitar, so he's not just some oh, pants guy. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> he's, not just, he's not a pant, just a pants guy. But he, he plays guitar and he seems to really... Um, I think Gibson's going in the right direction is what I'm, what I'm getting. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. I mean, they've obviously been a staple for extremely long time. I would like to see nothing more than them, you know, become a huge thing again. Um, Not that they aren't now, but uh, for me in terms of uh, an outsider, just seeing, um, I I see that there's a, a niche for me, um, I feel like that there's a niche that they're missing out on. Um, I see that they're selling a lot of the lower end and a lot of the, not so much a lot, but they are selling some of the higher end. And I feel like that there's a middle ground that they might be missing out on. Yeah, well, that's a good point because my first Gibson was a uh, Gibson Les Paul Studio, I think 2003, and it was the studio faded. And why did I get it? Uh, because it was four hundred and twenty dollars, and it was a Gibson, so and it's still great. It was a great guitar. That was the other thing. It, it was a good price, good brand name, and it's an excellent instrument. I still have it, so uh, you you might be right about that. But don't you think that like the higher end Epiphones are probably a better buy than the lowest end Gibson models? Maybe, 
but then they say Epiphone on it, and Slash doesn't play an Epiphone. <laughs> I get what you're saying, but as a as a you know, if you're trying to be a smart consumer, you are probably better off getting the highest end Epiphone, where they put in the best pickups they can and the best they try to make it. Sure. They don't. They don't take all the shortcuts that they take on the studio versions. Yeah, but Flash doesn't play an Epiphone. Yeah, no, I, I fully get what you're saying. I mean, but... I, I hear what you're saying, and I get it in terms of a price point. Yes, absolutely. You're probably better off in buying a high-end Epiphone versus a low-end, uh, you know, Gibson. But at I mean, the, the same time, you could do the same thing with a, you know, a Fender or any one of the guitars out there. That yeah, you can find a Mexi Strat that might be just smooth as butter, um, but it's not an American-made Strat. So, I mean it depends on really what you're looking for. If you really want that, that product, you're going to go and get it. But if you go out there and find, you know, uh, a flea market guitar that has no name on it made by Joe Schmo, it may actually end up being a better guitar than a $3,000 Gibson. You, you'd never know, but some people are very attached to labeling and branding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, you're probably right. You probably would be better served to get the Epiphone in some cases. Uh, if I was to tell somebody, though, like a, a newer player or something, I mean, I'd be like, get yourself, like, get yourself a, you know, middle of the road to high end used Gibson is, you know, probably where I would go. I, I, I kind of buy things now when I buy guitars, I try to buy from smaller builders just because I've gotten to know so many of them and I really like that community. And typically when I'm buying it, if I'm going after a Fender or a Gibson, it's going to be a vintage or a used one. That's just me personally. Um, that doesn't do much for supporting the brands, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I just, there's so many good guitars out there. It really is. Like, it's, it's a great time to be a guitar player. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I got mine off of, uh, I think it was off Reverb or maybe it was eBay, but I got, that's where I got my 335. It was I was very nervous about ordering off the internet, especially something that big, but the cost difference is just massive. Like you can buy a, a brand new ES335 for about like almost $4,000 at Guitar Center wherever, but you can get a used one in the, you know, closer to two and there's nothing wrong with it. Right, exactly. But you're just taking that chance if you're buying it online that you, you don't get to try it out first, which is right. not... Uh, comfortable feeling but i got lucky with my gamble nice mine feels amazing and i will i will say i had an epiphone shared in two um that i played for i don't know four or five years and it was a great guitar i would recommend it to to anybody but there's a significant difference with the gibson and i i haven't played a bunch of heritages and eastman's and i know that there are some serious competitors that probably make incredible guitars but the Gibson model is just so much better in its clean tone. You can really hear the the woodiness, like just the resonance of it is on a different level from the Epiphone. Yeah. I think when you put overdrive on it, that's not as apparent. There's more I mean, the pickups are hotter. I can hear I can hear that there's more bite to it, but it's where it's when it's clean that it really shines and that quality of the wood and the nitro finish for i mean that's a huge part of it just the finish on the guitar 
Yeah, I mean, it's gets uh, there again. We're talking about the rabbit hole. It gets it gets so so deep so quickly, uh, and there's so many different theories about what makes things sound good or sound one way or sound the other. Even amongst the, the builders who are like equally respected, they'll have like wildly different opinions on things. And at the end of the day, what's really funny about tone and and just trying to talk about that kind of stuff is it's all so subjective. Yeah, like it's like. I mean, I, I, I have, I, I've heard somebody say one time it was, the pedal was a big muff, basically. It was a modified big muff and it, and a guy bought it and, and this is a builder friend of mine and the, he sold the pedal to the guy. The guy emailed him and said, you know what? This thing can't do anything that I can't do with my TS9. So I'm going to send it back. And he's like, it's a, but it's a, like an op-amp big muff. It doesn't sound anything like a TS9. Is your TS9 broken? Is <laughs> like what's going on? And 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 he did. He sent it back, and it was like, and he tested it. Maybe my pedal's broken. Played it. Nope, nope. It's it's fine, and it doesn't sound like a TS9. No. Uh, but you know that guy thought it did for whatever reason. It's it's a it's a very strange thing. <laughs> I don't know that you can compare the two, but okay. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, he's like, this sounds just like my TS9. It's like, okay, it's okay. Well, if you think if you think that, then I there's no amount of persuasion I'm going to be able to do to change your mind. So, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah. We uh we alluded to it a little bit uh and earlier in the discussion of the episode. Um, how what are your feelings on profile? profiling in in like the Kemper and whatnot like that um I think well on the internet like when I'm in my Facebook group and in various places I I'm kind of a troll about it I'm like boo on line six and all that stuff but really what but really I think uh that they're incredible pieces of equipment I think they they totally have they've done a great job I've tried almost all of them except for some of the some I, I haven't tried the boss um, modeler yet the G I think they called it the GT 1000 I haven't tried that yet but I've tried the line 6 helix stuff and I've tried the head rush and the Kempers um, not tried Axe effects yet but they all sound really good they do what they're supposed to do I, I think they definitely have their place but for me I am not excited about it like, I don't care like I'd rather I'd rather try to have the the real thing if I can um, that said, if I was touring around and gigging all the time, I'd, I'd probably have a Helix. You know, it's just so easy. If that was my main thing, I, I I could totally get why somebody would have it. But as far as getting me excited about gear, I couldn't care less about them. Yeah. No, I, I find that that opinion is shared quite a bit. Whereas if you're a touring musician and you're out doing it a lot, um, that, yeah, the ease of having something like a Kemper or a Helix is just, I mean, the, you <laughs> there's no question i mean yeah it's and plus you know you're not worrying about patch cables going bad or you know it's just it makes a lot of sense i totally understand why they exist and who it's for it's just not really for me right no there's nothing quite like getting your hands on some gear and you know plugging it into your whatever amp it is and, and that's where the tone comes from it's, it's a wonderful feeling it really is yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah Awesome. I looked at those um, the ant modeling stuff because I play um, I play at the beach on the oceanfront for these for the city of Virginia Beach, 
mm-hmm. called Live on Atlantic. And um, I have to, there's a parking lot that I have to park in and then I have to get my stuff over to my little stage, which could be anywhere from like four blocks away to like nine blocks away. You got your dolly. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I, I was like looking like, do I want to get one of these amp modeling things so I can run, just bring my PA, you know, minimize my footprint and the amount of stuff I have to lug. And I, I ended up, that's when I ended up getting the Princeton reverb. I, I downsized the amp and bought one of those carts. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Like for <laughs> for a thousand dollars to buy an you know a pedal, I was like, I would much rather have like the amp of my dreams, you know, the small version of it. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that for sure. I probably would have made the same same call. Yeah. And those carts were great. <laughs> I think I have like the rock and roller, uh like ten or twelve or something. I think I can fit my whole PA system, which is one of those all-in-one, you know, it's a stack, kind of like the the um, Bose one, but it's not that one. Right. right. It's JBL. You know, I can fit that, my amp, my pedal board, my Tupperware bin full of, you know, all the cables and harmonicas and guitar stands and everything. Yeah. And then lay the guitar across the top and a mic stand and a few bungee cords and just drag that thing around. I could go miles. <laughs> but if you've got gravel, gravel or rough terrain, you need the one with the, with the all-terrain wheels. Oh, right. Right. Or you need to just switch them out yourself. It doesn't do well on gravel. That's funny. For those listening to the podcast, if you want to jump over to the Fret Buzz the Podcast YouTube channel, this is where Blake runs us through his studio tour. Enjoy. All right. Can I flip this around? I think I, I just saw a Gibson headstock there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I thought I, oh, maybe I can't flip it around. Oh, there we go. There we go. Okay. So here we go. Uh, this is yeah, the door. It just goes right to the outside. <laughs> it's a double door. I got a couple of guitars missing. They're out for some, some uh, tweaking right now. But what's here is... My that's a millimetric instruments uh, baritone guitar. Whoa! Uh, he's a builder out of Canada. Makes really really nice stuff. Uh, <laughs> that is a Jennings Navigator, which is a, a obviously a his Tele style build. Um, really nice guitars, like really really nice guitars. And the Navigator is cool because it has McNelly pickups in it. It's all made down there in California. It's not a parts caster. Um, he makes everything in his shop and it's like 1500 bucks. Uh, it's a really, really good buy. Really nice guitar. Um, that's a Roni, uh, Paul Roni. Uh, he's not building currently, but he's getting ready to start again. Uh, seven string. That one's pretty fun. That's, uh, 1974, uh, Tele Custom, which I love to death. I love the wide range humbucker in that neck. This is another Roni. It's a Roni Oceana. Uh, it's a mostly hollow body. It's almost entirely hollow except for a little block under the this area right here, the tremolo. Right, cool. Uh, another guy recently moved to Nashville, but formerly in California, Kevin Equitz, makes this guitar. Um, it's called the Rayburn. And this is Rayburn number one actually and it's got righteous sound uh 
pickups. These are kind of a new thing. They're his, they're his wide range clone, except they're in a standard humbucker size route. And then these also coil split and sound almost exactly like a telly. It's kind of crazy. Wow. Um, so that one's really cool. And then this is my crown jewel. Uh, this is my, if everything's burning, grab it guitar. That's uh, my grandpa's uh, 55 Les Paul Jr. Wow. So that's, that's my, that's my baby right there. Well, uh, understandably so. And uh, a cool. Ricky 360. A Rick. Yeah. So the other ones are, oh yeah, well I can't ignore this one. This one was a dream come true for me. My whole life oh. I wanted a white Les Paul Custom, and my whole life I couldn't find one I really liked very well, uh, until I found this one, which is a 1981 uh, Les Paul Custom, which I just love. So, um, I'm trying to avoid showing you all the garbage that's laying around, which is kind of hard, because there's so much. But here's the pedal cabinet, some of the stuff's out of it right now. Um, Obviously, a bunch of stuff in there. We won't go through all of it, but quite a few things in there. Here's Beautiful. My, my mess I was working on last night. Um, a few more pedals over here. So usually, there's a pedal within reach wherever you are in here. Um, got drawers of pedals here, and more in here. Some of them are out on loan right now, and some of them are in the house, and some of them are. I mean, it's just. It's, it's huh. silly. It's pretty silly, let's be honest. It's it's wonderful. Yeah, it's like it's Candyland. So yeah, that's uh, that's what I call the shred shed. Thank you, basically. Blake. That's awesome. The shred shed. Yeah. Milk and honey. Yes. But uh, oh my yeah. Gosh. yeah let's see if I can flip this thing back around. There we go. So yeah, that's the short tour. It's. It's not super big out here, so that's, that's all the important stuff that you need to see. <laughs> thank you, Blake. We're, we really do appreciate it. And no thank problem. You for your time today. It's been a great conversation. Enjoyed talking with you guys. That was that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Especially cool after having listened to some of your, your episodes to, to meet you. So Yeah. It's been great, and I'll have a different, you know, different outlook on things when I listen to future episodes, especially the Santa Cruz guitar one. I think you're going to like that one a lot. I do. It's written down. I'm, I'm going to listen. All right. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you again. We really do appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Talk to All you right. again. Bye, Blake. Bye.